This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Janice Dean Podcast. Many of you know I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in 2005, and I've shared my journey with our viewers and our listeners for the past 17 years. But for the first time ever, I was recently rejected by my insurance company to cover the drug I take twice a year. I was on the phone on and off for a week before my infusion, trying to find out why all of a sudden I wasn't being covered. There were tears of frustration, many calls to my doctor's office, and my nurse. I finally had to bring in our Fox benefit managers to try to see if they could help as a last resort, and they were able to get it done for this visit, but I will have to do it all again in six months. I decided to go on social media to talk about how absolutely infuriating this was, being on the phone for hours with a specialty pharmacy while they gave me excuse after excuse of why I was being denied. After I posted my frustration, I saw hundreds of responses from all of you telling me that some of you were dealing with the same thing. Cancer patients trying to get medicine, parents battling insurance companies to get life-saving therapies for their kids. There is something going on out there, and we need to find out why we're being denied our medicine. I won't give up, and you can bet I'm going to keep fighting the next time. Which brings me to today's guest. Melissa Malamphy's mom died of ovarian cancer after an eight-month battle with the disease. Melissa saw what happened to her mom firsthand, from being diagnosed to meeting with doctors, managing her medicine, and experiencing so many obstacles along the way. She wrote a book about it called Not in Vain, A Promise Kept, and says she wants to share her mom's story so others don't have to go through what her family went through. She wants to empower people to know their rights, their medicine, prognosis, and treatment options, as well as having a voice in their own health care. I'm so grateful she agreed to come on and tell us her mom's story, and hers as well, as a caregiver and a loving daughter. Thank you for doing this. I have a lot of questions, but I want to first start out with your story. How did you become this incredible advocate? The hard way. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of like you. Um, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in... Um, 2010 and um it anything bad that could happen happened and um basically it was eight months of hell and uh she lost the fight um but a lot of things you know she had a very rare sarcoma um we could talk for hours about all the mistakes but there were so many medical mistakes that happened during her treatment that um I, I, I couldn't let go, um, you know, starting from, you know, the, the biopsy when they said they were going to do a biopsy instead of actually biopsying the tumor, they only biopsied the ascites, which, um, wound up 
giving us a diagnosis of adenosarcoma. However, it did not give us the correct diagnosis. Therefore, we had the wrong chemotherapy. So from the beginning, mistakes were made. Mistakes were made throughout um, her journey from, you know, she had bilateral pulmonary embolisms and DVTs and my sister caught it, not the doctor. Um, one, which is really crazy, was I was in um, the hospital with her one night after work and um, there was a, a student because it was a teaching hospital there and he was asking her what her wishes were. And this was probably only three months into her illness. And, you know, my mom was kind of jacked up on Ativan and, and pain meds. And, you know, she was like, well, if there's no hope, I want nothing. And the student then just walked out of a room and I said, Ma, I said, you just told him if you have a cardiac arrest tonight, don't do anything. She said, no, I didn't. I said, yes, he did. And I went back to the nursing station and I got him and I had him sit down and I said, what did you hear my mom say? And he said, she wants nothing. She doesn't want any life-saving measures or anything like that. I said, absolutely not. I said, what she meant was, you know, as many older people say, she doesn't want to be on a life-preserving thing like uh, being intubated or have a um, tube put in her stomach. That's what she wants. If she has a cardiac arrest tonight, absolutely, you need to save her. And so he changed his records. But what if I had not been oh. there? And then as I'm leaving, which was like incredible, as I'm leaving, I just happened to look down at her hand. You know, she was going to sleep. It was about 930 at night. And um, she had the wrong bracelet on her hand. It, it, it didn't say my mom's name was Constance E. Burns. And it said another woman's name. And, you know, I, I wasn't thinking at the time I was late from work. I had my Blackberry on me and I wasn't thinking to take a picture or anything like that. But basically my head exploded and. You know, I went and I got the head nurse and, you know, she cut that off really quick. But, you know, I'm saying, you know, what if they she was on a cardiac floor because she had pulmonary embolisms from the cancer. And I said, what if, you know, she was out of it and they brought her downstairs at two o'clock in the morning for some kind of cardiac procedure because she had the wrong woman's name on her bracelet and barcode, which is your entire medical record. Oh. And how I long mean, ago was this? This was 2010. Um, but I can tell you that there, there's there's other things that are in the book that, that are even more horrifying. But the scary thing is now, Janice, now in my experience and people I've spoken to, and when I wrote the book, you befriend a lot of people that, you know, oh, that happened to you too, me too. My dad had this and you find so many people. It's not my mom's story is not unique. And in my experience, especially in a post COVID world, if that's what we want to call it, um, it's worse now. Yes, um, it's 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 100 percent worse trying to get um, an appointment. Um, you know, you're it, it's just healthcare is in a really dire state right now. And, um, you know, it took me 10 years to write the book um, because in the beginning, you know, I was I was working. I had a toddler, you know, a little bit of life got in the way. But I was so angry that I, I don't think the book would have been readable because I was so angry. Um, so it took me about four versions to write it where I needed to look look my, you know, check myself, do some introspection and say, OK, this happened people die from cancer every day. 
what can I do to help? How can I make this book not just a a memoir of terrible a, a terrible read? So at the end of each chapter, which is every month in my mom's journey, I end it in what I learned and what I would do differently and what you need to do to advocate for your loved one, particularly if they're critically ill, um, <clears throat> as my mom was. So every chapter I end with that. And I, I try and blog every day and, and keep up on what's going on in the industry on a daily basis. I've, I've read your story, which is so sad to me because my grandmother was in a nursing home, um, for six years and it, it, it was, it was bad. Um, and, but what happened to your in-laws, um, that's just unforgivable. Like I, I think without knowing you, I think you're probably in the space that I was for many years after my mom passed away. Um, there's just some things that you can't forgive some choices that people make that you can't forgive. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's why I read my book. There were times where it was difficult, um, to write because I have every single one of her medical records in a spreadsheet. Um, so some things I read and I would just get angry all over again, but um, ending each chapter again with what I learned, what I would do differently. And again, what you absolutely have to do, especially today is, is the critical part of it. How do we start? I'm going to, you know, listen, what happened in nursing homes, I'm going to continue to fight for that. We still don't know why those, you know, that mandate was given to put sick patients, 9,000 of them into nursing homes in New York, and I will spend the rest of my life trying to get that information. But how do we get that information? How did you get enough information to create spreadsheets? Well, you know what I did is, this is what I I, I say to a lot of people, and it, it sounds trivial, but it really isn't. Um, if you are admitted into a hospital, you know, whether it's for, especially if you have a chronic illness or um, you may get admitted a couple times a year or, or you know, you have cancer, you have, you have diabetes, something that's a significant disease. Um, always before you get your discharge papers, ask for your physical records. Um, don't leave the hospital without them. You know, my mom's were two inches um, thick. And I just went through every single one of them. And I found so many mistakes in the records. And, you know, today with everything is electronic, you know, you have access, quote unquote, in your portal. But I don't know about you, but, you know, I have some autoimmune things. And, you know, I, I look in the portals and a lot of it is just cut and paste. Yes. It's not, you know, the the doctor's notes. It's not the real stuff. Right. Um, you know, so for, for us, I mean, I, I would say the first step is to always have your medical records um, and, and request them to hard copy, not, not, not electronic, unless they're the exact PDFs of what you can get hard copy. And, you know, they might say, oh, we're going to charge you for them. They, they're not allowed to, um, you know, you, you're, you are, you can get your medical records. The second thing is, is in a lot of states, and I believe New York is one of them. Um, if you're going to a physician and, you know, it's like, say, for example, um, my mom going to her gynecologist, oncologist, you know, the patient or my mom in this case, they don't have the capacity to take in all of the information that's coming their way. It's just, you know, my mom 
I think from the beginning was thinking of her mortality. I think she knew um, what was going to happen, but you are able to use like your smartphone and record the conversations and, and you're not recording it to, you know, get the doctor or catch the doctor making a mistake. You're recording it because the person, especially if it's a very severe illness, does not have the capacity to understand a lot of the things like, you know, in the beginning when my mom was sick, you know, we, we had hope. It was false hope, but we had hope. Um, my sister wrote everything down. She journaled every single thing. I mean, simple stuff like what was my mom's weight on, you know, this week compared to another week because, you know, wasting disease with, with cancer patients, um, medicines, you know, it, it, in a, in today's day and age, you may see, especially if you have autoimmune conditions, um, you know, I have probably five doctors and a surgeon. So none of these people communicate, right. um, really, especially some of my doctors are in the city. Some of my doctors are in Connecticut. So, you know, um, if you, you know, there's a lot of times, you know, one doctor may prescribe a medicine for a certain symptom, but another doctor may say, Hey, well, no, you can't take that with this. And, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen there. So another thing is to know your meds, know what they're for and write down what they're for. And if they're PRN, which means you have to only take them as needed, understand that. Um, and understand too, if you're on say a pain medication that, you know, you have to be very careful. Like, you know, just, I always tell people, you know, there was a situation with my mom where she was getting four days inpatient chemo. My sister texted me. My sister is very conservative, different than me. She doesn't curse anything like that. <laughs> She texted me. I was at work and in the subject of the text, it said effing terrible. So I Googled from work the chemotherapy my mom was on and I had such a good job. I He told me I could leave anytime I want. I ran over to the hospital, took one look at my mother. She had every symptom of toxicity except chemo, except coma and death. So I knew it was a holiday weekend. It was Labor Day weekend. I called the oncologist. I said, you need to come see my mom because I think she's toxic. He comes in, you know, fast talking doctor, you know, white coat, um, you know, Missy, she's fine. Um, you need to stay off the internet. Okay. You're the, you're the professional. So we, my mom opens one eye and we agree to a second round of chemo the next morning. And another thing I say in the book, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping around, but no, I'm trying okay. to get it in. Um, Befriend your nurses. Nurses are the connective tissue and can make or break your care. Thankfully, on the oncology floor, we befriended all of our nurses. And a nurse called me on my cell phone Saturday morning and said, Missy, you need to get over here. This is not the Connie that I know. And she had orders to hang a bag of chemo, but she was not going to do it until I got there. So I got there and, um, <clears throat> you know, my mom looked terrible, the whole thing. Um her oncologist was out. One of his group uh, colleagues came in again, said, you know, for Connie, we have to go for hope. You know, we got to, you know, kind of give us the whole gung ho conversation. And unfortunately, me and my sister and my dad was there at the time. You know, we said, OK, we'll we'll go on with the second round. Well, next day I came. My mom was flat. She had throw up coming out of her 
mouthed, her arm was down. She could have aspirated. And at that point, my head exploded. And um, basically, um, I went to the nurse. And, and at that point, now I don't trust you. So I slept there until Monday. And at five o'clock, I'm leaning up against the bathroom door in my mom's room. And it was a, a horrible 48 hours. And um, he says to me, you're right, she was toxic. Oh. And I said, I'm sorry, but that's your job. Yeah. You know, and basically my mom lost two weeks of her life because once you're toxic on, you know, chemotherapy, you know, we had the priest come in three times. I mean, it, it was horrible and she doesn't remember any of it. Um, but, you know, these are the kinds of things. And, and where I'm going is that you have to educate yourself on your illness or your diagnosis or treatment options. And even I also tell people, check check into the doctor like you know some people they might be mad and you know say oh this doctor's terrible because of x y and z but you know it, usually you can see a trend if a surgeon or a doctor or a specialist is good and has helped people you know if you're gonna do you know your homework on buying the best refrigerator why wouldn't you do your homework on finding the best doctor um, because it's out there. Their grades are out there. People can opine on what they've done for them. Um, you know, I would say, you know, make sure you educate yourself and you're never going to take the place of the doctor because you're not going to be smarter than him or her. But like the example that I just gave you, I Googled it and I wound up being right. I didn't want to be right, but I was right. Um, you know, and I've gotten good information from the Internet. I really have. You know, I know that they say don't do it. It'll scare you. It'll be wrong. Well, a lot of times I get really good information. You know, I think it's a good tool to have as long as, you know, you use it properly. And I, you know, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2005 and I was my own greatest advocate because I saw three different neurologists. And the first two really didn't want to do anything for me. It was kind of like, I remember the first guy who told me I more than likely had MS and, you know, gave me a handful of steroids and said, come back and see me in six months um, because I can't diagnose you until you have a second episode. And I thought to myself, what? So you're just going to yeah. give me steroids and like pat me on the head after you give me a diagnosis or you think I have uh, multiple sclerosis and then come see you in six months. So what that did for me is once I got out of you know the shock, I looked for another neurologist who I didn't love, but at least he said, you know what, Janice, you need to be on something. Um, so, you know, that was in 2005. And I have always said, exactly that. We research everything else that we're going to buy. Why aren't we researching our doctors? Or if we don't like our doctors, try to find somebody else um, that, you know, will fit the bill. Yes, you, you, you absolutely have to. I mean, I've, I've had similar situations. And I mean, you know, the other thing is, you know, white coat syndrome. I mean, that's a very real thing. You know, we see, a person coming in with a white coat and, you know, two things happened. A lot of times your blood pressure goes up, you have anxiety, but the other thing that happens is, you know, they're looked upon as, I don't, I don't want to say perfect, but, but they, they're the expert. You have to listen to them. You have to take their advice and they're not wrong. And in so many cases, 
they're wrong. I mean, um, you know, just a quick story about me in, um, in 20 October of 2020, I have all kinds of GI issues and I had, you know, I have Crohn's, I had a, a stomach ache and, you know, that's normal if you have Crohn's. Well, I decided to go to the emergency room and, um, because it was bad enough where I, I went, because no way did I want to go to the emergency room during COVID, but I went, my husband and son could not come in with me. And for seven hours, I was in the fetal position and they never did a blood workup. They gave me some pain meds and they basically said I was fine. So I got up to go to the bathroom and thankfully I passed out. I was unconscious. I woke up. I had two nurses on each side of me putting saline in my um, arms because my BP was 70 over 30 and my uh, I was tachycardic. I was like 160 beats per minute and they were discharging me. In fact, they code grayed me, which I didn't know what code gray was until I became one um, because at one point I was in so much pain when I heard they were discharging me. I couldn't even get up to get my phone to call my husband or 911 because I would have and a nurse came in and yelled at me because I cursed and I became a code gray. But, you know, once I passed out, their their attitude completely changed. And what had happened was we found out two days later when I woke up in ICU is my stomach tore off my spleen, flipped over. It's called gastric volvulus. It's very rare. People usually don't survive it. And um, they said I was fine and I was going home. I talked to my GP once I got out of the hospital. He said, you would have died at home because my red blood cell count was two. And how do you go to an emergency room and they don't even draw blood? Oh my you know, gosh. so I'm lucky to be here. And that that was that was a year ago, you know. And yeah, yeah I, I did. I mean, one thing, you know, and I know, especially what with, with the things that you need that you're trying to get done. And man, if I can help you in any way, let me help you because after the experience with my mother, you know, and we don't have time to talk about all the mistakes that happened. I wound up writing a letter to the CEO of the hospital. You know, in my job, I dealt with CEOs all the time. They're, they're people just like we are. And I just said, you know, she had a very severe disease. Um, you know, she was stage 3C. Would she have made it? I don't know. Did I want her to get a second opinion in the city? Yes, but she wouldn't do it. Um, However, she suffered under your watch, meaning the CEO, because of these five out of 25 mistakes. And I said, I'm not going to litigate because my father and my sister didn't want to. I said, but I am. My father had a five thousand dollar net bill, which is which is, is not a lot of money. But to him, it was. And I said, I'm asking you to zero balance my mom's bill because of, you know, these five things that are there's a lot more. You can just look at the record. And two weeks later, I got a letter from him and he zero balanced my dad's bill. Mm. Now, CEOs don't do that. They only do that if they're surrounded by lawyers, because, it, you know, by zero balancing my dad's bill, they basically said, yeah, we messed up. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, don't be afraid to go up the chain of command. When that happened to me last year in the hospital, I wrote to the head of the emergency room and, you know, I, I'm like, I don't want to people to lose their jobs over me. You know, they have a hard job. Everybody's stressed out with COVID, but I, if I had gone home, I would have died at home. 
you know, and your PA was ignoring me um, and they weren't busy. So, you know, use me as the example to not let this happen again. Hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You know, the other reason I want to talk to you is you you talk about after the pandemic, things have gotten worse. And I believe that as well. And very recently, it's been, you know, how many years, almost 20 years now that I I've had a chronic illness and I've been able to get my medication. I've worked at Fox. We have a very good health plan here. I have, you know, contributed to it for almost 20 years. And um, for the first time, I had my medication rejected, saying that they weren't going to cover it. And at first I had paperwork saying, no problem, your meds will be there, uh, you're covered, um, we'll see at your appointment. And then I received an email from the specialty pharmacy saying, um, there's a problem, there's going to be a delay, we'll, we'll let you know. And then the nurse calls me from the doctor's office saying, okay, we have a problem, they say they're not going to cover your meds. And I said, well, what can we do? And she said, well, you know, you you should give them a call. And she's a wonderful nurse. And she also went to bat for me. And, you know, long story short, there were a lot of people going to bat for me. But the bottom line is I did call the specialty pharmacy. And I was on the phone for probably a total of 10 hours. 10 hours. And it was different people over the span of the week. And they would all have to look through the notes from the last person I talked to. I finally got someone who spent two hours, maybe two and a half hours on the phone with me, who kept putting me on hold to call somebody else. We still don't know why all of a sudden they decided that they weren't going to cover my medication. By the way, the medication, I get it every six months. It's in a a hospital office because there are different meds that I have to be given to balance. It's like a chemo drug. Um, yep. And I have to be under the supervision of a nurse for a period of at least six hours. So it's a, it's an, it's a big deal for a day sure. once every six months. So this fella finally came back and said, well, it's because the nurse gave you the wrong dosage. And so you need to go back to the nurse and tell her. So then I call the nurse back and I said, they tell me that you gave them the wrong dosage and that's why they're not giving me the right, they're not giving the medication. She's like, that's BS. I will send over. I do this every single day for different patients. I give, I'll tell you the exact amount of milliliters. It's written, it's documented. I said, okay, that's fine. But you have to, you know, you have to do do a new prescription for me. She was like, okay, let me try to handle this. Anyway, bottom line was I had to get my employer involved and uh, from from Fox to call uh, the pharmacy and say to them, what's the problem? And even the person 
here at Fox called me back and said, I don't I still don't know what went wrong, but your medicine will be there. So and six months from now, I have no idea. I will probably have to go through the same thing. And I posted it on social media. And Melissa, I got hundreds of responses from people saying, it's happened to me. I deal with this for my wife. I had one woman say, yes, my chemo medicine, uh, I almost gave up. Like, what is going on? I, I believe it. I believe it. I, you know, I, I I looked at your story and I'm on some, I think probably some of the similar meds you're on um, for Crohn's and some other stuff. And, and they are very expensive. But, you know, what I'm finding is, um, if, if, for example, my father, my father has congestive heart failure. They, they call the type of congestive heart failure he has as rare, but it's not rare. I've spoke, I spoke to specialty cardiologists. They say it's rare because Pfizer has made a drug that is for this quote unquote specialty um, um, heart failure. And do you know what the sticker price is of this med uh, a year? It's a quarter million dollars a year, $225,000 a year. And if you have a coupon, you can get it for $21,000 at CVS because they'll give you that break. So this this is the this is the problem. So and Pfizer just got got caught doing this. So what they do is they put this big sticker price on these meds. Yes. And like like the one my father's on. And what they'll do is they'll say because um, they know nobody in their right mind can afford it. Not even anybody that's on Medicare. You, you, you go into that quote unquote donut hole and and you can't afford it. So it's called Vindamax. So my dad, you know, he's 82 years old. He's like, well, I'm not going to take it if they're not covering it and blah, 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 and all that stuff. So my sister probably spent mm, six months on the phone with Pfizer reps trying to get this done. And what they do is they will, um, if, if the patient qualifies, um, they will uh, help with some of the copay. And um, with my dad, it, it eventually worked out, but it, Pfizer just got in trouble for it because what they're doing is they're charging, um, you know, a quarter million dollars. Then they help the, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of patients with the copay, but then they write that off. So they're, they're, they're making money on the front end and then they're making money on the back end by writing it off and calling it a loss. So they're making double the money and they just got caught for doing this. So I don't know when my dad is up for renewal of these if he's going to be able to afford it, because I don't know that Pfizer is going to be able to continue to do this. Um, and, and as far as, um, you know, availability of meds, um, you know, I find that um, the same thing. There's a lot of people with, you know, me too, that happened to me. I can't afford mine. I mean, I have a really good plan because my husband works in the city. I'm very fortunate. Right. Um, and I do, too. We have a great plan. We've always said we have a great plan. You know, it's not a, it's not that. It, I don't think it's that. Right. Right. That I'm, I'm the same way. I'm very fortunate. But, you know, I, I think that um, it, it's it's all about money. Like everybody's just trying to make money. And now in a in a quote unquote post covid era that we're in, you know, where hospitals are taking losses, um, 
even though they did get money from the government. So, you know, I, you got to really look at some of the, some of the, um, the, the paperwork for some of these, some of these hospitals. I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, the bottom line and, you know, I was on a med a while back where I actually had to get it out of Canada Yes, and it worked out. Yes. Um, that's where I was able to get it. It was out of Canada and it, it, it helped me. It, it was, it, it, and it, it, you know, it took a little bit, but it did work out um, because I could not get it here. I've heard of people going to India to get their drugs and, and stockpiling. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. so I, I really don't know where we go from here. You know, I have to wait another six months and, and it, and like I said, I've been, I've been paying into this plan for 20 some years, you know, I've done my part. I should be able yeah. to get my medication. You know, the other thing they suggested, well, you know, you go off brand, but I can't go off brand. You know, the the right. drugs that I go on, like they don't make a generic uh, drug for what I take, you know, yes. so uh, it's very frustrating. And and that's purposeful, too. I mean, like like the, the same thing with the med my dad's on. You, he, he, there is no off brand to it. There is no alternative. You know, you, you either take it or you leave it. And, you know, I had read, um, a bunch of cardiologists in New York that specialize in congestive heart failure, um, are saying that a lot of their patients are not going on this med and dying yes. because they can't afford it. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, I, I, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I can be tough and, you know, I would say until my dad got approved every single day on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter, I was putting up Pfizer's um, uh, annual annual reviews. I was putting up there um, the money they made last year, the money they anticipate making this year, um, the st statistics about this med Vendamax and, um, you know, I just I just continue to put them on blast because it's, it's not OK. It's not. And we all have to sort of be our own, you know, megaphone. Um, yeah. And, but I said to my husband, you know, he saw me on the phone and I know you know this as, you know, a sister who has a chronic illness um, of the same family. Crohn's is in the same family as multiple yeah. sclerosis. I mean, we can have a relapse going through stress, you know, like. Yeah. And and I can understand people who say, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. I can't be on the phone for 10 hours trying to trying to get my medication because we, yeah. this is a problem. And the, and, you know, talking to nurses, no one wants to be a whistleblower because they're all afraid to lose their jobs. That's exactly right. So that's, that's what we're up against. You know, my nurse basically said these drunk, these drug companies are terrorists. She said that yeah. she won't say that on the record, but she's right. like, I go through this every single day. Um, you know, advocating for my patients. And I agree with you, the nurses, God bless them because they do, they do go to bat for us. I've had many of my nurses fight with insurance companies to get medications for what I have to, you know, get to, to continue my life. Um, so I don't know, Melissa, I am, I'm so proud of you that you've written a book about this. Have you received like any blowback at all? Because I know that's the thing we risk, right? If we're going out there and we're, we're saying you this. Know, is it's, it's funny. I, I, in, in my book, um, there, I, 
I don't say any of the doctor's names, of course, but right. Dr. Cool, um, he was the first person I gave a book to. And um, he enjoyed it. I, I've given the book to many of my doctors. Um, I, I know uh, with 100% certainty that the facility that my mother's in um, is looking at my LinkedIn posts every single day, probably mm. waiting for me to slip up, but that's okay. You know, I'm, I've got, I've got nothing to hide. Nothing in my book is fiction and I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to speak about it. In fact, that's what I'm the PR firm I'm working for now is trying to get is, um, you know, um, speaking gigs because people need to hear yes. not, I, I don't want people to hear, you know, it's, I'm not trying to get like empathy because, you know, my mom passed away. What I want people to do is, and I say this all the time, is to find their voice because you need to speak up. And so many people are afraid to speak up. You know, I, again, it's some things just tend to find me. This past December, um, the county came and knocked on my door. They're knocking on the wrong door. They're doing a wellness check for my neighbor. My neighbor, great guy. Um, not well off at, at all, um, kind of a hoarder's house, great man would do anything for you. Um, long story short, I wound up getting in touch with him and I, you know, he was very sick and I said, listen, you got to go to the hospital. And he, he fought me for it on a day. And I said, listen, you know, I'll help you the whole thing. So my husband and I got him out of the house, got him into the ambulance. I didn't know it was going to be a one trip, a one way trip. Having said that, I'm not vaccinated. I, and he has nobody. So I had to keep getting COVID tests to go see him. And the first day I went to see him, I talked to him on the phone all the time. And, um, you know, he was cognitively intact. He was joking. He was happy. Uh, you know, he was the, the man that I knew. And I went over there. I brought him a Dunkin' Donut. It was like I gave him a thousand bucks. You know, it, he was so happy. I made the nurse get him up get him into the bathroom so he could walk himself. The whole thing gave him the clicker. We were messing around on his phone. Two days later, I go, because, you know, you only have 72 hours before you have to test again. Two days later, I go and I see, this is this is this December. I see masking tape on his door and it says DNR in magic marker on his door. And I go in, the same man that I saw two days before was naked, in a diaper, no sheets on, they took and because he had ascites for he had a very aggressive cancer um instead of tapping him like they do in radiology because that's more work they decided to put a shunt in his stomach to drain the ascites that's very very painful i've had shunts in my stomach very painful they didn't tell the family they were doing that make a long story short he was agonizing in pain a 68 year old grown man screaming and crying and they did nothing and he didn't have his glasses on, his phone was dead, his call button was hanging off the bed, and he was just, I can't even tell you the pain that he was in. So a nurse came in and she talked to me and she said, you need to fight for morphine. And, I, I, and, and I'm like, absolutely. So I, I said, get, get, get his PA up here. She came up and she says to me, um, first off, they didn't want me there because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bucking the system a little bit. And I'm, quite frankly, I'm not related, so I shouldn't be there, but he's got nobody. So I said, I was his daughter. They don't know any different. So she comes up and she says, he's on PRN medication. PRN means you need to ask for it. 
I said to her, I said, and I, I'm, I, I'm on the radio. I said, does he look like somebody that can ask for medication? And I said, I said, I am not leaving until you get him the proper medication. I will pop a tent. You will have to call the police. I am not leaving. And then, you know, um, so she finally agreed with me. And, and I knew, you know, if you've known someone that has cancer, once they give the heavy duty opiates, it's just a matter of time. The central nervous system shuts down and they go. He was in such excruciating pain. What if I didn't show up? Like, what if I didn't show up? I was holding his hand and he was squeezing it because he had so much ascites. He kept trying to get up to go to the bathroom. And for six hours, I held him down, holding his hand and saying, it's okay, buddy. Just, just go. I was pretending we were in the bathroom. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But he wasn't going because they didn't even have him on fluids. So he was just left there to die. I mean, if he was getting palliative care, they would have given him fluids for comfort. You know, they were just like, almost like he had so much ascites, they were getting it out of his stomach. But at the same time, he was, um, you know, dehydrated because he, he was, he had no food. He could not eat. He had no fluids for comfort, nothing. So basically they finally came up with the, um, the medicine and, um, I called his one sister. I said, you better get here. And, um, you know, within 10 minutes after they gave him the medicine, um, I, I, I knew what was going to happen next. And I've seen it before with my mom. And, you know, the next day I got the phone call that, that he passed away. Um, but my thing was again, and I'm not trying to be egotistical, but what if I didn't show up? Yeah. How long would he have laid there crying in pain as a grown man? who's contributed to society for all these years and nobody gave a flying, you know what? Mm. And, and, and it was the nurse that said I had to fight. And, and the doctor looks me right in the face and says, he has to ask for medication. He, he didn't even know his name. He was in so much pain. And um, again, I get to my computer, write the, write the CEO of that hospital (sighs) and tell him exactly what happened. And I said, I, Again, I don't like to take people's livelihood. I don't want to mess with people's jobs, but this man suffered and he shouldn't have. And it's not acceptable and it's not okay. I don't care if he's on Medicaid, if he has no insurance, it's not okay. So um, he wrote me back and, you know, he said all the right things, which I hope he does implement, you know, like, um, you know, because they were trying to kick me out and, you know, that they said, you know, family members should be able to be by the bedside. And, you know, we need to make sure that we um, keep track of people's uh, pain. And um, if the patient is unable to ask for medication, we should uh, be on top of that. And, you know, blah, 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 which was all good. And I hope he implements some change. And I hope he gives a talking to to the doctor that, took four hours to come up to his room. Um, but it, it just, it, it kills me because of the, the way I, I saw him. And, and, and again, what if I didn't show up? How long would he have gone that way? He put, he could have gone that way a week, you know, it, it was disgusting. And, and this is what's happening. And it, it and, and I mean, that's hospitals, nursing homes, you know, you and I both know, they don't have the staff, no. the professionals, 
or the equipment to facilitate someone that's ill. When my grandmother got ill, she took an ambulance to a hospital. She didn't stay in the nursing home. A couple of times she did fall ill while she was there. She got pneumonia and stuff. She went to the hospital. So, excuse me. So what Cuomo did uh, to me uh, is is unforgivable. And 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 quite frankly, it, it he 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 should face some serious consequences for that decision because, you know, people lost their family members and and it was because of his decision. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he should have accountability for that. And and if in fact the entire group of them should. I agree. And we're going to, you know, continue to stay on that even when the headlines are not reflecting that. You know, we're we're right. be- we're behind the scenes. We have not given up. We're going to continue. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, I've always said that nursing homes should have cameras. We should be able to see our loved ones. We should be able to see who's coming in and out. Um, and and they need to be accountable. There are good ones. Don't get me wrong. Yes. There are good ones. There are angel nurses. There are people that do this selfless work um, and take care of people. Um, but there are people that are doing things for the wrong reasons and for themselves and not for, you know, our grandparents and our parents who serve this country and deserve the best health care. So, you know, to be continued, um, tell me, tell me the one thing that you remember about your mom the most and, and the thing you think about when you think of her. Oh, you know, I had my, now you're going to get me going, Janice. (laughs) Um, You know what? My my husband and I have been together um, uh, since high school. And, um, you know, I had a lot of problems as far as um, being able to have kids. And at 39, um, believe it or not, I was going for a colonoscopy. And they spun my urine and they said I was pregnant. And I said, it's impossible. Both tubes are shot. I had two ectopics. You name it, I had it. And they spun it three times. And she said, no, I'll see you in a year. And, you know, my son, Luke, is truly a miracle. And, um, you know, I remember my mom, she waited tables uh, my entire life. And, um, you know, the when I found out I was pregnant with Luke, uh, she was working. And I went to her restaurant <clears throat> and uh, I showed her the um, the sonogram. And she was like, what's this? Because, you know, it was like never going to happen for me. And, you know, she just, she was just so thrilled and excited. And, um, you know, it's, you know, the, it's, it's kind of bittersweet. She met Luke, but, you know, he only got 15 months of her and of the 15 months, eight, you know, my mom was very sick. Um, but, you know, I remember just how happy she was and, you know, bragging about, you know, she's going to have a grandchild and, you know, all that stuff. And, um, you know, she, she was, my mom was a fighter. She, she definitely was a fighter. And, you know, I I think that, um, 
you know, she's of the, um, she's of the, the age of where people are, are, were doctor shy. They call them the silent generation. Um, and <clears throat> my mom, when we took her to the emergency room, they found a 23 centimeter mass on her ovary. I think that she was afraid to go to the doctor. I think she didn't want to know what it was. And the day she called me and we finally got her to go to the emergency room, um, she knew because she kept saying, funny enough, she said she walked, she watched uh, Dr. Oz and they were having a thing on ovarian cancer and she had all the symptoms. And I think she kind of knew from the beginning. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, she was, she was the uh, fulcrum of our family. And when you lose that, um, it's tough. I mean, my dad's still alive and, and, you know, him and my sister have done a lot better than I have as far as grief. Um, I have a master's in counseling psychology. I ran groups. I worked in psychiatric emergency rooms. I've done it all, <clears throat> but I was probably the worst at it as far as grief because I was too smart, uh, you know, uh, to get help, but I really should have earlier. But you read in the book that I finally did um, put my pride aside and, and thank God I did um, because I, I, I definitely needed it. Well, She's raised a fearless daughter, and I'm very proud of you. And how can people get your book? It's uh, on Amazon. It's on uh, Barnes & Nobles, anywhere, Apple, anywhere you can get books. It's also on my website, um, melissamalanfi.com. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all over the place, and, and I appreciate you. I, I, hope, I hope you read it and enjoy it as well. I will. It's, it's not... An it's not an easy read. I mean, you're, it's, it's going to be emotional. I mean, a, a lot of people have said in the um, uh, comments and rankings that, you know, it's, it's tough because it, it, again, a lot of me too, and this happened to us too. And, and that, that, though, that's the people I'm trying to reach. Um, you know, I, I'm the type of person, if, if, if I can help you in any way, um, I'm going to do that. And, there's just so many things that we have to, you know, find our voice and, and learn from in, in healthcare, especially today, um, because it's really scary. It's really scary out there. And it's not getting better. I mean, I, I'm, no. an, I'm an optimistic person. I really am. I always look at the sunny side of life. Um, but, you know, I'm dreading the next six months when I have to go through it again. And I'll keep fighting. But then I think to myself, what about the people that can't fight anymore. You know, what about well, that's them? It. Yeah, yep, that, that, that's exactly it. I mean, that's, and there's so many of those people, like, I mean, even, even second opinions, a lot of people think, you know, insurance isn't going to cover a second opinion. Insurance companies, I would say 95% of the time will cover a second opinion. And it's so important to get one. I had a lady that had a tumor behind her eye. She went to two prestigious hospitals in the city. One doctor said they were going to take, their suggestion was to take the tumor out through the eye. Another surgeon suggested they take it out the top of her head. She wound up getting it out and she's fine through her eye. But what the doctor said to her and what we spoke about is, you know, and it makes sense. <clears throat> if you're moving out of your home and you have to move stuff, do you take everything out the front door or do you take it out the roof? Mm. I mean, that's that's the drastic differences that you can get in healthcare. 
you know, and, and, that, and that's what's scary. And that's why you have to, you know, check, double check, triple check, talk to people. Um, you know, I've had people write to me, complete strangers and say, you know, this is what's going on. What do you suggest? And, and I'll, I'll, I'll let them know everything that they could possibly try and do. Um, because it's just, you know, I feel like, I feel like somehow, you know, the, the name of my book is not in vain. A promise kept like, I don't want my mom's death and suffering to be in vain. So if I can help other people in any way, um, not go through what she went through and what my family went through, then my job is done. I think she's very proud of you. I hope so. <laughs> well, listen, let's be in touch. And uh, I appreciate you talking about this today because I don't think enough people are talking about it. Um, and, uh, you know, w- one voice can change the world. I truly believe that. So me too. So and keep- if I can help you in any way, let me know because, um, I'm, I'm, I have, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of ideas. <laughs> okay. Melissa, thank you. Let's be in touch. Okay. Thank and, you so much, Janice. God bless you. Thank you, Melissa, for coming on today to share your story. I know it will help others. We have to keep speaking up because this is happening to so many of us. If you'd like to find out more about Melissa and her story and where to get her book, you can go to melissamalampy.com. Her last name is spelled M-U-L-L-A-M-P-H-Y. The book is called Not in Vain, A Promise Kept. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.